0: if the game master is doing the like it's friday night we're all hanging out and i'm hurting cats kind of thing which can happen sometimes even with good friends mm-hmm. like we're human the game is not our lives this yeah. is you know we're not method actors we're just playing a game together as friends you might accidentally step on some real heavy stuff here because i don't see how you can run a game of this that doesn't tackle at least 10 or so major philosophical questions every session, right? Totally. Like existential crisis per minute. So you would want to make sure it's like, this is my A team. These are my my friends that I trust. We've also had some pretty lengthy discussions about it. We've got some safety tools in place and we're going to all try to really focus and be on our A game. Like I may have a personal moment while we're at the table playing this game. Like I think that's a real possibility because you're going to be digging into some stuff, right? And you're going to walk away. (laughs) You know, you're going to walk away maybe a slightly different person. of the adventure tomes podcast the podcast about stories that could be games and games that could be stories i am one of your hosts grant and with me as always is my co-host paula paula say hello to the people hi how are we tonight
1: we're doing good got the nails done got a massage we're in the mood
0: ready right hit the dimmer switch
1: feeling (laughs) transcendental human
0: Right, let's let's expand our minds tonight because tonight uh, we'll be doing uh, a game book review. We'll specifically be doing the Eclipse Phase Second Edition RPG, a game of transhumanist and posthumanist survival horror. But I guess, kind of, first off, uh, what are we up to? What you've been reading? What you've been what you've been engaging with here lately? Before we really get deep down into the the review proper.
1: Oh gosh, what have I been reading? I just, I mean, i I'm like totally left field, and I've just been reading. Like, I finished the last volume of the Sweat and Soap manga Mm. for a really, what you read as a weird, like, you know, romance office kink story Mm. is possibly one of the most healthiest adult relationships I've ever read in, like, romance manga. Like, these are two very different people who literally sit and talk it out Mm. with how they're feeling what they're doing, their anxieties, and they grow together as people and working it out in a healthy relationship. And it's also really sexy. So, <laughs> blew, like, blew my mind. I'm like, this cannot be. Like, the premise is he has a scent kink, like, he loves smelling his girlfriend.
0: Oh, now so, I remember hearing about this. Okay. Yeah.
1: He loves smelling, <laughs> like, he loves scents. And she has, like, she just has, ex- he sweats excessively. So it's one of those moments where like, oh, it's a weird kink romance. I don't know and for people who are like ew, Japanese romance mangas it tends to be weird. I'm like it' start, it reads weird on paper. but when you think about like someone who has like insecurities about their body, mm-hmm. how much they sweat they may have been bullied because of it mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like me growing up with a lazy eye kind of moment mm-hmm. and then you meet someone with like that is the core of what they love about you. Mm. And it's about them literally healing each other in how they talk out their relationships. And they don't, they don't, dem- oh my God, it's just a, so, so cute. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it sounds really great. That sounds amazing.
1: Yeah. And they're like adults and they talk it out and, uh. It's easy to get like throw away like oh you know romance manga is just like high school awkwardness stuff like Watakoi Love is Hard for Otaku and like Sweat and Soap like totally changes your mind. Mm. I also just finished CS Picat's Dark Rise, the first book in their Dark Rise, mm. this new YA fantasy novel. Okay, and I love CS Picat's work because I love their Captain Prince trilogy. <laughs> it is also very kinky. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and i almost want to like force you to read the captain prince trilogy
0: whatever we, um, whatever we got to do whatever whenever it's your pick it's that that is within your power
1: <laughs> oh god the
0: possibilities
1: um and what i love about their work is dark rise in particular has a twist that i did not see coming because mm. it's very much like the the young hero narrative Of, like, this boy suddenly realizing, like, there's a secret fantasy magic world, Mm -hmm. that he's destined to be a hero in this world. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, some dark forces, dark rise out to, you know, destroy the world and blah, blah, blah. Man, the twist in the end of, like, who the identity of this boy is, like, speaking against how do you find your own identity if you're, like, say, predestined for something. Mm. I love those stories. Yeah. It's my jam. Because, you know. I guess growing up and being me, it's like you're like this, and you're like, no, I'm not. I love those stories, mm-hmm. and the way Dark Rise turns it on its head in a unexpected way, it like hit it so well. It did such a good job. <laughs> like you want plot twists to be surprising but not unexpected, right?
0: Sure, right, yeah. yeah. And it
1: got it. It got it in like first take, first book, and mm. like I can't. I'm like hyped for the next one. So those two those two books right now super super hyped about
0: that that's good stuff yeah for sure how
1: about you what's up with you
0: well uh, other than you know i guess i've been doing a lot of brain expanding between reading eclipse face right which we'll get into which is a you know a mm-hmm. lot and it's a it's a big work on top of being an rpg <laughs> yeah. i've also been having to you know i'm i'm editing my own novel my own first novel right now and reading your own writing is just a painful brain exercise because all you can do is you know it's it's great to have that first pass done but editing is such a slog and I'm constantly like oh what you know what knuckle dragging gorilla wrote this line it was me and I'm an idiot <laughs> you know you're just like constantly battling with your own expression and take trying to you know synthesize other people's feedback because I've gotten some really terrific feedback from my betas and it's really great, and, and I'm excited, but at the same time, it is hard on some senses, like, okay, do I need to deliver more early? Because I have this vision for all these books, and some people are like, okay, you know, it'd be nice if this delivered here, if there's a little more of this, uh, you know, it, so all that stuff between between those two things, those kind of taxing my brain, if you will. Not to say that the eclipse phase was taxing, but it is a lot of work and reading at the same time to some degree. Yeah. Uh, so the other things I've been reading for pleasure have been more like brain off easy mode. Mm-hmm. I just started cracking the cover on the One Ring RPG 2nd Edition because I backed the Kickstarter. I've had the PDF, but I really wanted to wait for the physical book because I really enjoyed 1st Edition. Didn't get enough of a chance to play it, but the, the physical is really gorgeous. I really, really like it. I'm curious to see i really liked my limited play experience with the first edition i'm curious kind of how second edition is going to pan out because the first edition did a really good job even if it was a bit messy at times of really capturing kind of a, a tolkien-esque feel to fantasy particularly i think the travel mechanics were really really good in the sense that it really made the journey such a critical kind of mini game if you will
1: wow um having That's interesting yeah
0: uh, in a way that to, to my mind, in terms of mechanical experience, it mechanized a sort of, uh, you know, d- Dungeons and Dragons being kind of the classic touchstone for many and what it does and does not mechanize, like d d mechanizes combat very heavily, and it very heavily mechanizes, at least the early editions really focused on sort of the dungeon uh, encounter time scale of searching rooms, random encounters, traps, all that stuff's very mechanized. I'd say one of the bigger developments for me as a Game Master in the past few years, in terms of mechanics that I like that are heavy in structure and framework, would be like skill challenges from 4th edition, which are really interesting way that D&D kind of approached, you know, adding some kind of skeletal framework to, in a not quite fully combat level kind of sense, but adding some of that structure to just general adventuring in a way that I enjoyed and this feels like a sort of similar evolution in some sense of like how do we make the trap the journey from point A to point B which is such a core part of I mean just to, you know the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are both fundamentally about getting from point A to point B how do you make yeah. you know it's like a character falling out of a boat in a river and being cold will make them despair and make future adventuring more difficult, more miserable, right? That this And this tension between hope and despair and the difficulty of travel, I find that all really engaging on top of just being a huge, you know, Middle-earth nerd. So I've been reading that. And I've also been reading Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, Soulbound, which is, <laughs> um, I won't get too much into, into Warhammer stuff, but Warhammer is like my natural... <laughs> hey, remember
1: that time that you were DMing me, like the entire... Basic 101 of Warhammer on a train ride. Yeah. On a 12 hour train ride. And it took those 12 hours (laughs) for me to get it. Yeah,
0: it took me 12 hours to give you the cliff notes of 40k. (laughs) Like Just the cliff notes. There's so much lore there, but it's like, that's a world, like those worlds are things that I've been enjoying since I was like eight years old. So like Age of Sigmar is kind of different though, because Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy are both kind of, they've always been separate things. Like 40k is the space one, Fantasy is like the traditional Fantasy one. Well, a couple years ago, like 2015 or so, they basically ended the Fantasy world, which had been going on for, you know, 30 years or so at that point and just said no we're done you know they nuked it in times there is a definitive end to that world it's done it's gone and they brought out this new thing and it kind of rebooted from it called age of sigmar which was it basically went from i don't know if i'd call the old warhammer fantasy world low fantasy but it certainly was more grounded in a sense and they really blew that world up and went for a much higher fantasy, more like kind of heavy metal album cover kind of fantasy, right? (laughs) Like it's all guitar (laughs) solos and that losing a world that I treasured very dearly and having it replaced with something that was so tonally different and visually different was very jarring and I bounced off of it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's only with some time and some healing and distance and like now, <laughs> now that the, that world has gotten a bit of a chance to kind of expand and have some cool lore and to have a little more history. And I've started exploring the, RPG, the world really through the lens of the RPG from Cubicle 7. And I've really, really vibed with it. Like, it's totally different. Like, again, it's not, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, for example, the, the, one of the classic old school role-playing games, was quite infamous for, like, you could, your class might be that you're a rat catcher. Right? Like, you just, like, you're literally, like, you're just, like, this guy with a hood and a stick, and you have, like, literally your equipment list included a small but vicious dog. Right? It was grimy, gritty, nasty fantasy where life was cheap and everything was difficult. And then now this new world is, like, you know, you're Proud Chest Thunderburner, and you have a magic axe, and you do backflips over enemies. You know, like, it's a very different tone, but now that they've really, like, grown it a lot, like, the world is actually... Pretty sick at this point. Like I'm really vibing it's like with the it. the
1: difference between like "Bring Out Your Dead" yeah. and "You Shall Not Pass."
0: Yes, yeah, but, and even more so. I mean, the, the characters in okay. the characters in Warhammer Fantasy, your average person was, you know, was obviously a, a, a sort of Monty Python version, but roughly an, an average person. Right. Mm. The Age of Sigmar characters are it's the difference between first level D and D and twentieth level D and D, really. Like your early characters are like, I have seven silver and I have two knives and then by level twenty it's like I cast Wish every round and I have boots of like dimension hopping. Like the the tonal difference is very wide, even if theoretically they're both fantasy, right? So But Age of Sigmar is really good. The art's really good. I'm really vibing with the world. It's also much more open in terms of like the characters you can play, like it, it, it shed a lot of those kind of old biases and old structures. And now it's just like, man, do whatever, have a blast. Everything's good to go. Like, and just have a, you know, you can be like, I'm a, you know, undersea like elf abandoned by my God. And our, you know, our, our people were forced to live at the like the bottom of creation. So now I ride like a hovering like Fang Mora eel and I cast tide magic even if we're in space and you're just totally sick actually (laughs) this is is really great say more (laughs) yeah actually feed me more of that uh so that's really good i really enjoy it um so yeah yeah i've been i've been doing those but those are both like easy mode reads for me it's very natural to slot into those perspectives while my brain is more taxed by other reading speaking of so for tonight's review we are going to be reviewing Eclipse Phase 2nd Edition. Now, uh, obviously, this is the 2nd Edition of the game. This came out in 2019, I believe. They had a Kickstarter, uh, and the PDF came out. Just within the past year or so, the physical uh, uh, books have been released. But now, this is by Posthuman human Studios. Uh, the authors, uh, Rob Doyle, Davidson Cole, Brian Cross, and Adam Jury. Both the first edition and this edition both have the same sort of basic premise, although second edition uh, is mechanically a little bit different and I guess a little more tightened up from my reading. I didn't really read much of first edition. This is a game that... I, the first edition came out in 2009, so it's it's been around the block, right? You know, we're coming up on 13 years now. Now, this is a game that I chose because I wanted to read it and I never had. Uh, this is a game that is often mentioned and, and mentioned very highly in the RPG spaces, but it's not one that I... I never met anyone that's played it. Uh, I hadn't really met anyone else that had heard about it. And it's one of those that I see discussed. When it is discussed, I see it discussed very positively. But I don't really see a lot of people talking about playing it. Nor do I, have. I, you know, I just don't hear that much about it. Other than like, it's really good. You should check it out. So the basic premise, uh, I will do my best to try to give a <laughs> gist of the setting. You know, this is just based on like one read, which I wouldn't even call a deep read, right? It's just kind of a at some points a cursory read but the basic premise is that we're gonna have to really tackle it in chunks right there's the setting yeah. and the system or as we often refer to it right the fluff and the crunch
1: I have never heard of that phrase before yeah,
0: fluff, fluff and crunch these are these are classic tabletop terms at least in my circles crunch is, is pretty universal for war gamers and for role playing gamers fluff is much more common in the war gaming circles you'll hear like you know oh the narrative stuff around it that's the fluff but oh. like the the hard numbers oh. Like the digits and the dice, that's all crunch, right? Uh, and you'll you'll often hear you know people do people describe a system as like crunchy or not right like D and D is often considered med- it, yes. medium crunch but you'll have heavy crunch or light and you know, all that kind of stuff. Wow,
1: yeah, I'm so, such a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm trying to give what knowledge I can. So the the fluff or the setting conceit is that humanity is on Earth doing its thing and things are uh, pretty much as bad as they are right now, uh, but we continue to develop <laughs> technologically and it's right there kind of on the on the 10 a lot of post human and transhuman sort of technologies and developments begin happening quite rapidly with you know cybernetic enhancements advancements in technology the ability to modify upgrade alter oneself becomes ever more present and available uh not just obviously the richer and more powerful you are the more available it is but it's it's quite pervasive right i, I suppose an analog would be something like Cell phone usage, right? It used to be highly expensive, uh, but now it's like everybody's got a phone. You got to have a phone to operate in our modern society, right? You need to, otherwise, mm-hmm. how are you going to do it? And it proliferates out. So, the, the levels of sort of technological advancement and human advancement in that sense, the door kind of gets blown wide open. And it, along with that come the development of things like artificial intelligences at increasingly more complex levels without getting too deep into the weeds. Again, trying to make it a, a understandable idea here essentially at some point a sort of skynet analog called titan is developed by the united states military and it does what skynets do and becomes self-aware and decides (laughs) you know kill all humans and that's what happens so it's basically a cataclysmic near extinction event on earth and earth essentially becomes uh, you know a a no man's land no person's land if you will but at this point you know solar system exploration had begun to become a thing and the ability to separate ones maybe not separates not the right word essentially the idea of like uh, if you think of sort of your physical body as your hardware and your mind or spirit or what have you the sort of non-physical as your software the ability to move your software around quite freely uh had become Mm -hmm. had been developed uh in the game referred to as your ego right your ego and then your physical being the morph Uh, and a lot of people escaped earth by essentially being downloaded off of Earth to other places like Mars and so forth through what's called ego casting, right? They, they removed their, their minds from their physical bodies and got off of Earth really quickly to the colonies or the orbital spaces or whatever. But essentially, the Titans are roaming free, wiping out most of the human population. It's a horrible event. People are escaping to Mars and, and Jupiter and the Outer Rings and so forth. Uh, but at some point in their like constant frenzy, the Titans just stopped doing what they were doing. Whatever horrible plans this being or this, you know, kind of collection of machine intelligence had, they stopped doing what they were doing for reasons no one can decide, but they are still sort of a recurring threat in the solar system, particularly the closer you are to Earth. From that, society tries to bounce back in fits and starts here, there, everywhere, while still retaining largely the essentially the same level of technological power and uh, advancement that people had grown accustomed to basically mars becomes the new kind of center if you will with jupiter also being involved and also the outer the sort of like uh, outer belt outer ring area of the solar system and you have these old power structures pop back up you know mm-hmm. hyper capitalist planetary consortium controlling a lot of the inner system stuff and trying to kind of bring back the way things were you've got these uh, highly bioconservative groups who outright reject all this technology stuff happening around Jupiter but then you've got sort of these like socialist and anarchist elements and communities that spring up in the outer rings who are much more uh, open to all these technological advances and aren't trying to impose their will on anybody else and are just trying to survive and then so you've got this kind of new dynamic going on in the solar system where you've got some versions of we want to have the tech but we also want to have the control and then we also have some versions of we don't want the tech but we still want the control and then we have on the outer ring which is like we want all the tech and we don't really care about control as long as you're not hurting anybody else do whatever you want to do and society trying to adapt to that with the kind of shadow of the titans still hanging over things but there's lots of other elements too there's these Pandora's gates that are discovered that are Mm -hmm. essentially portals to other realms and worlds and then you've got this other alien race that's popping around saying hey you want to buy stuff from us we'll be glad to sell you things what their motives are who can say every time people go exploring out to the through these other gates and stuff too they find not only all these other wonderful worlds maybe humanity can get out there and explore more stuff but they find evidence of other dead alien civilizations what's all that about but the sort of new status quo is that humanity as we understand it is radically changed you know earth is mm-hmm. no longer even really habitable you have these kind of multiple uh what does the book call them exurgent so yes exurgent or basically extinction level threats, sort of hanging over all of the human race and in pe- all these various people vying for power and stuff like that and then your player characters play there's a couple different setting pitches but the sort of assumed one is that you're part of this kind of conspiracy slash uh rebel group called firewall who are trying to protect humanity and protect common people Uh, as best you can with quite a high level of sort of a basic assumed power. And to get a bit into the system part, essentially one of the core conceits is that your ego, that your sort of spirit or your your personality, your identity, can be duplicated, can be modified, can be re-uploaded. You essentially can have like a personal save point if you need to. And that your physical self, the morph, is highly adaptable and modifiable even beyond that if you want to be in sort of an unmodified human body, sure, that's fine. You can be a gorilla. You can be an octopus. You can be an uplifted toaster that modifies itself to become a rat. You can be uh, a synthetic being. You can be a, a giant walking robot tank. You can be a... Pure... I want
1: a t-shirt that says uplifted
0: toaster. <laughs> the brave little toaster goes to Mars is a story oh, you could essentially God. tell in this setting. Uh, you could be, if you want to be... Um, a purely digital being like a, you purely exist in the digital space. That's fine too. And not only are all those possibilities within the game itself and supported by the rules, those are things that you can do within the same game session popping around between different bodies and different states of being is essentially swapping out gear with a slightly more complexity, uh, which compared mm-hmm. to other game systems and rules and things, especially the more traditional types uh, is a, uh, quite novel and quite cutting edge in many ways. But that's the basic gist of it. And I've covered roughly 0.03% of what is in this game in terms of of system and setting. And I should also mention one last thing, that the system itself is vaguely traditional in terms of how it resolves actions. It's a D100 system, which is usually done by taking two 10-sided dice. You roll them together. One of them either has either looks like a tens column or is a different color or something like that. One of the dice becomes your tens column. The other result becomes your ones column. So if you rolled, say, like a four and a one, that'd be a forty-one. Or if mm-hmm. you rolled a 5 and a 2, that'd be a 52 or, or whatever. Usually w- compare it against some kind of skill number, and your skills are usually rated as percentages, and there may be modifiers and stuff thrown in, but you're usually trying to roll below your skill but higher than your opponent. I've heard of it referred to as either blackjack or a- referred to as price is right, whoever's the closest without going over. Uh, so mm. in, in a contest, say, Paula, you have a, only a 30 in a skill, but I have a 40 in a skill. Well, if we both roll our dice and, say, you roll a 28 and I roll a 22, well, we both succeeded, but you rolled higher than me without going over your skills. So, like, so you would actually have succeeded in that contest because your your raw dice roll of a 28 was higher than my dice roll of a 22. That's a oh. real basic understanding of the system. There's a few other things too like rolling doubles as criticals and there's like the 33 and 66 rule. There's a few other modifiers yeah. there. But it's essentially again blackjack or price is right. Who is the who is the highest without going over their skill value, which is we'll talk about some of the legacy from some of those mechanics and stuff there. But that is a real <laughs> real like high level overview. I'm applauding is. you
1: that was well done sir thank, thank you. you
0: thank you I I, tr- I struggled a long time with like I was like how do I explain this uh, how
1: do you pitch this <laughs> yeah. how was, wait how many pages is this it's like
0: it. five it's like a five hundo just about it's it's, a, <laughs>
1: it's, it's
0: thick yeah my PDF is C's. north of yeah <laughs> <laughs> Eclipse phase with two C's. Uh, it's north of 400 pages. It's a it's a big boy. Yeah. So and it's a big setting and it's a big system. And I guess that the one thing that I certainly took away from it just initially was like I 100% why I see so many people talking about this game. I also mm-hmm. like at first blush I can see why I don't see a lot of people talking about playing it. I can see just from the sense of scale. I mean that in the literal sense of what the, what you can do in the setting, what your characters mm-hmm. can do, the sheer length of the book, and like it doesn't feel like a single inch of page is wasted. There is text and text and text and text. Like there is so much to this game. I can see why it is a joy to just read and sort of soak in. But also, maybe really intimidating to get a bunch of friends together to play. Yeah,
1: I mean, again, when we talk about tabletop RPGs, like you're the veteran, I'm the baby. <laughs> Just a baby. Just um, a baby. Hello, baby DM. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, I'm like super basic in that I learned through 5e, because why not start somewhere? Yep. But I mean, that wasn't the first system I ever played. You mm-hmm. got me playing five ring
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we did a little bit of l5r yeah
1: yeah we did that and then we played fate mm-hmm. we were in the fate system for yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. and I think yeah and then I got into 5e because mm-hmm. that was probably and to be fair that's probably just the like the most supported like we have
0: oh sure a,
1: like an official digital tool set and all that stuff
0: you like the majority like at this point you could probably say the majority of role players probably in history uh if any one system were to have that claim it would probably be 5 e uh, it would be close. It depends on how you how you lump together all the earlier editions of D&D. Uh, but I think 5e is one of the most, certainly one of the longest lasting D&D systems and it's more popular than it's ever been. And, you know, if we're being real in terms of, systems to start on 5e is a pretty darn good one to start on because it's it's very forgiving and it's very it's very easy to ease into and it's good for long-term play i think it's a good place to start don't feel bad
1: (laughs) yeah i mean when i so when i look at like a brand new system like this i almost don't like i i get into storytelling for Mm -hmm. the story Sure. And so if I were if someone were to hand this to me, which you did, <laughs> and go like, "Hey, check out this game. Like, I'm going to skip all the character creation part and read into the lore of it." Mm-hmm. Like that's where my brain goes. And it's like, "Do I want to play in this world?" Mm-hmm. And in this case, the easiest answer is, "Yeah." Yeah. <laughs> I do. I don't know what I would do like even like from i will say like they you are not wrong in that they did not waste an inch of this book because even from the beginning that opening story of what's her face of the sister
0: oh um i can't recall now
1: yeah infamy um uh tearsley and her brother mhm what's his face he's kind of a fuck boy <laughs> tiernan <laughs> he is he is He's a jerk. So this, like, this really, really grounded story. Right in the beginning, the opening story is called "Infamy" by uh, Rob Boyle and Davidson Cole. It's really well done, mm-hmm. and it the opening story of the of the two siblings who come from basically like. Poverty, victims mm-hmm. of climate change, mm-hmm. and then set in Brazil, so you know they're people of color, and who grew up in like a bioessentialist family mm-hmm. kind of situation it was so was such was so compelling mm-hmm. in kind of the existential crisis of it all, especially in Tearsley, who was so scared about losing her, her humanity, mm-hmm. but what else could she do as like circumstances close in out of her control closing all around her mm-hmm. and. It was such a compelling story, especially as someone who grew up in a immigrant family, this is a universal story to me mm. of circumstances out of your control and you're made you're forced to make decisions <laughs> 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 that you may or may not like wanted or or needed and it makes you question who you are as a person mm. this is decision you make and then plus you add the extra bonus of like who are you as a person when you don't have your physical body mm. and the kind of like just jar like this absolute <laughs> crisis that would bring mm. i i love how just grounded that is and that they didn't want to look at themselves when they first got into their first sleep. like was it sleeve
0: sleeve yeah
1: yeah, their first like sleeve, I guess, when they finally woke up and they found out it's like f- f- like X amount of years later. The mm. Earth doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And they just refused to look at a mirror. They didn't want to listen to their muse, which is their AI. Right. And I'm like, man, this is such a grounded, relatable story to open this book. And it, this, the fiction in the front did its job. And I'm like, what is the rest of the lore? <laughs> yeah. I must know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so... This is our sort of our first time reviewing specifically an RPG since last time we talked about uh, Lotos as a fictional story and how to replicate that. So, uh, one thing that would be important to understand from my context is I always read a, any potential RPG from the perspective of a game master. Like, I certainly mm-hmm. like reading the player bits because I want to know what players are capable of. But ever, I had been running role playing games since I was about 10 or 11.
1: Little baby.
0: Yeah, just a little baby myself. And uh, I have, in probably 85 to 95% of the time, have been the game master. Very few people wanted to do it when I was young. And I hope I'm pretty good at it. People seem to like it. But it's like, there's also just like this element of, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to step up and say, yes, I'll run it. So I always look at games from the perspective of a game master and so my first thought is always like okay is this a cool setting to tell stories in do i see potential issues in the mechanics or the setting that i need to address you know and i've also run for a lot of pretty diverse groups capital d and and lowercase d in terms of diverse groups like i've had a lot of different people at my tables over the years i've seen a lot of different personalities i've seen i've had a lot of really great sessions i've had some crash and burn sessions right like it's a, it's a performance art right it's definitely a performance all that kind of wraps up into like my first perspective is like i'm i'm looking top down how am i telling stories do i picture campaigns in it can i picture one shots in it can i picture what, what what the crew look like and all that kind of stuff this is still a a big one i i, I this is probably one of the most unique experiences i've had mm-hmm. reading a game as a as a game master because i don't have any like in terms of the setting the setting is very explicitly very political the authors are going to tell you that i mean reading it hopefully you would pick that up pretty right away but the authors are very explicit about it and like what their intent is and what they're what you know who they are rooting for even if it's a pretty nuanced take i think for the most part they're like yeah we we have clear favorites here uh all that stuff is great like i love the setting i love everything about it i love every element about it i read i was like this is awesome this is awesome this is awesome you know i mean obviously not like literally great like there's a lot of horrible stuff that happens <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but in terms <laughs> ah, of <laughs> yes, mass climate, <laughs> I love it, I love it, and I...
1: destruction of the earth,
0: <laughs> extinction events, baby, bring it on, uh, no, I, I, you know, all that stuff is just like riveting, and it's so good, yeah. and it's like the, the potential is so high, but I, I definitely will express certainly some trepidation, because like the thought of sitting down, the thought of reading, like if you were to tell me, hey, there's a series of novels set in this world, I would probably buy and read every single one of them. The thought of running more than a one-shot in this setting starts to give me a bit of I start to get a little like mm, like I start to get a little tense.
1: It, yeah, the the setting, I don't know if I feel this way about every sci-fi. I think this is probably why I don't touch on sci-fi stories as much because there's I guess there's an inherent I'm not going to say inherit. I'm sh- There are so many, so much more smarter people that talk about like the, the theory behind science fiction and science sure. fiction writing. Some happen to be some of my favorite science fiction authors. <laughs> but science fiction as a genre for me, like I know there's like you want to be hopeful about futurism and things like that, but it does get into like the crunchy bits of just being like big, big questions about being a person. And that... If you're not, if you don't have, I guess, a healthy idea of what that is, it gets kind of sad.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a bit of that for sure. There's a
1: little bit of that. And so there's a, I, if I were to say either play in this game or run this game for like a a period of time, say a campaign like the last over a year, you would have to put some really big like very explicit safety tools mm. for me to play this game. And there has to be such an inherent trust And like, everybody. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to run this in anybody that I don't know, like, explicitly very well.
0: Oh, 100%. to
1: hold me emotionally through whatever this is. <laughs> yeah. Because there's going to be some inherent big... uh I feel like there's a lot more exploration of self <laughs> in, like, sci-fi stories, especially, specifically this one, especially if we're dealing with transhumanity. Mm. Like, how do you deal with, like... How do you accept – how do you see yourself as an ego and as a person? Like how healthy are you in your own psyche yeah. to pl- <laughs> be able to play being in other bodies and changing other bodies and, and- – I don't know how much slap dickery can be in this kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. And that's, that's one of the first things. So again, like I mentioned, I, I've run games for a lot of different people over the years. Um, some people I didn't really know all that well. I mean, strangers in the game shop have sat down at my games before. I've run games ad hoc, like on car trips before. Like I've run games, you know, and I've also run games for like with people who I consider lifelong friends, I would take a bullet for. They know my darkest secrets, you know, and I've had... Games at the table that were like transcendent emotional experiences. I've had a lot of just like clown cars and fart jokes. Like I've I've had <laughs> s- I've had a pretty wide gamut of experiences. And I think most people, you know, D and D for better or for worse whatever. I don't think it's a an arbiter of quality. But D and D's rough shape is how a lot of people think about role playing games. There's going to be mm. some sort of structured parts, probably combat, probably skill checks or something. There's going to be some like really kind of broad open role play and there's going to be this kind of tension between the above table stuff which is probably a little more lighthearted, a little more hey past the doritos kind of stuff and then the on table stuff is at least pretending to be serious and sometimes gets pretty heavy but it's probably kind of an action adventure kind of thing mm. most of the time because that plays really well with groups this game is not comfortable and i think i think that is both its biggest strength and its biggest weakness. This game is not going to say, yeah. "Let's ease you into this." Opening fiction aside, this is a game which just the reading of it will challenge you and make you ask. Like I had, like there were times when I would kind of sit back and be like, "Whew, you know, you just kind of got to like, yeah, I got to kind of ruminate on that a little bit." You know, I, I'm not super well versed in. You know, transhumanist or posthumanist, either fiction or philosophy or thought or anything like that. So, in a lot of ways, I, you know, this is like, oh, I hadn't really considered this before. You know, I'm going to think about it. And I, you know, I try to think of myself as a relatively well-read and open guy, but you know, there's always going to be times when we encounter things that are new to us. And I'm, while I jived with pretty much all of it here, there were definitely some heavy questions just just reading about the game.
1: What was something that came up for you?
0: Um, well, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it because it it really started as a as a as a game mastering question about how do you mm-hmm. how do you challenge this how do you challenge a group um that comes back to i guess i'll, I'll talk about this let's let's okay let's let's bounce hold on <laughs> so mm-hmm. the challenging questions i think are going to be present while you're reading the book and they're going to be present at the table and like you mentioned about safety tools this is a game where you're going to want to make sure the people at the table you know trust there's a clear social bond and you're not the only one enforcing it if the game master is doing the like it's Friday night, we're all hanging out, and I'm hurting cats kind of thing, which can happen sometimes, even with good friends. That can happen, mm-hmm. right? People are just, we're just having fun, we're just rolling dice. Um, You know, it's been a long week, like we're human, the game is not our lives, this yeah. is, you know, we're not method actors, we're just playing a game together as friends. You might accidentally step on some real heavy stuff here, because I don't see, I don't see how you can run a game of this that doesn't tackle at least 10 or so major philosophical (laughs) questions every session right like like existential crisis per minute like i feel like it's gonna be you need to you need to track it so you would want to make sure it's like this is our this is my a team these are my my friends that i trust we've also had some pretty lengthy discussions about it we've got some safety tools in place and we're gonna all try to really focus and be on our a game like i may have a personal moment while we're at the table playing this game. Like, I think that's a real possibility because you're going to be digging into some stuff, right? And you're going to walk away, <laughs> you know, you're going to walk away maybe a slightly different person. And that's a that's a, that's a a tall order for something that people are doing in their free time between, between shifts, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that is a tough sell. I also think week to week to week to week to week. Like, hey, do you want to run? Yeah. You know, most gamers think about the campaign, right? You think about... What if we had this really long, fun campaign? Like that's the dream, right? And these consistent, persistent characters who grow and develop and change. Like every Friday, you know, three every Friday once a week or three Fridays a month. You want to sit down and and really have a cathartic, life changing experience <laughs> and st- stare extinction in the eye and see who blinks first while questioning who you are. Like that's a that's that can be a lot to ask. Like, it can you know? It
1: really can. I mean, like imagine like. I don't know. Are they NPCs? Or are there like play like sample parties you can make? Right?
0: They're supposed the like, the three crews that it shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They're supposed to be. Um, so uh, from my read, they could be NPCs. I think they're also meant to be archetypes. Like, hey, this is what a fire mall t- f- fire mall. <laughs> this is what <laughs> oh, a f- a firewall team would look like, right? Or and I think this is probably the most critical is these are meant to be stock characters you can play a one-shot in because the game is so dense. Like, here's a complete character. You can run a one-shot, see how you like it, and then see if you want to go back and, like, make characters and make a full campaign. Right? Just learning the rule, like, the dice stuff and the setting stuff is already so much. Here's some stock characters that you can just run out the gate with and play, which is not uncommon. A lot of RPGs will have these sort of we don't see it a lot in D&D, ironically, but we'll have these kind of like, hey, just run this character. Like, run this starter thing, try it out, see if you like it, and then maybe come back into the character creation stuff and really dig into it.
1: Yeah, and there's, oh gosh, there's the background of Lost Generation where artificial, essentially artificial children are forcibly, like, raised faster so that they can be, like, a working adult in three years. Mm-hmm that kind of thing, and it all goes wrong.
0: Yeah, right. Because <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course it does. Of
1: course. You know, you're uh from the lost generation of the character of Hex. Your objective age is only is only five, but you're technically in your mid-20s, and then they have ego traits like a mental disorder or enhanced behavior. And I'm like, man, those are all playing in, and those are things that you think about, which that could be a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean there's a but there's a real challenge how do you
1: like again you really have to know yourself mm-hmm. i mean as also someone who does have some form of mental illness, i have anxiety and yes that is part of who i am and i love that it's almost like yes these are real people with real issues who are fully are fully human mm-hmm. but fully human in that like this is You really need handrails because you are very much embodying your your characters in some way. Mm -hmm. And you're going to take those things with you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a healthy, if you're not starting (laughs) off like strong as a person, this might be real hard.
0: Right. Or you may, because there's such a heavy emphasis on adaptation and change, and I think it's a positive thing, right? Like, I definitely Mm -hmm. like, I want people, it's like a setting where it's like you can make you be the you you want to be, not just big picture but like moment to moment like I, that's beautiful that's wonderful I love that there is a sense though that like because you could be kind of rolodexing through traits and and abilities and in the flow of the game you may represent or be something you're not and I think that's great because role playing and fiction allow us to, to explore those things like that's part of the goal right but if you're doing it so rapidly you may not have time to think about what you're doing and you may embody something that someone else at the table really in real life does embody and you mm-hmm. without intending to you know may sort Might of step on, step on something cross a line even yeah. intentional unintentional like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there for for some fractures and some things that can go wrong
1: that's the big caveat i guess with like with this is the big actress of this game it is a very like i want to buy the physical copy of mm-hmm. this and have it and and have it be a novel that i can read
0: right, yeah right <laughs> Like yeah, it's all pot. Like I'm really really positive on the game, but I'm also really intimidated by it if I'm being perfectly honest. And this yeah. this is a pure read. Now, of course, there are a lot of games that I have read that I was like this is not a very good game and at the table <laughs> I was actually like because again, there's a group activity element here. There's a group expectation element here and sometimes in play something runs totally different You're like whoa this act- this game is brilliant or this act this mechanic ended up being like so liberating and incredible and then other times it's like oh. i'll read a book and i'm like this this is it this is my forever game and then i get to the table and it's like this doesn't work or the buy-in's not there or "Ooh, I, this seemed like a minor difference when i was reading it in play this comes up so much it cr- you know or mm-hmm. w- all that kind of stuff right so I, the first thing when I read this, like, it's it, it's a science fiction game of, of survival and horror, right? But when I think, like most people, if you tell me science fiction, two of the first things that pop to mind are, like, Star Wars and Star Trek, right? Like, these are pretty... The stars. Yeah, like the, yeah the, the star ones, the space ones. And I think most, whether we're talking... I mean, there's minor differences there, used future, you know, post-scarcity. There's a few elements, that, but, like, those are essentially fundamentally about human characters they're in different settings but they're human characters right and they have Mm -hmm. in theory you know you or i could put on the enterprise uniform and you know the 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 starfleet uniform and walk onto the bridge and and we wouldn't be out of place in that setting right or you or i could get thrown into a a garbage compactor on the death star and be like ah, i'm in star wars right there's something like (laughs) fundamentally inhuman about those characters but the characters in this, like from right out the gate and quite explicitly, are essentially superhuman. Yes. This is this is a superhero game with some chrome. And I like that. I have run a lot of superhero games. I love superhero games. It's one of my favorite genres that I don't get to run very much. Some of my highest highs in gaming have been running superhero games with people who were, again, we had really long discussions about tone, about what we wanted to, like, this is what I'm going for. This is my vision. And, like, do you guys also see, like, what we're trying to do here? You know, kind of try to be in the genre, be in the, in the space. Don't just, don't be, you know, outlandish because you have certain powers and I can't always check you. I need you to really be in the setting and all that stuff. And when it works, it just sings. It's incredible when people, like, come together like that. There's also, like, some of my most disastrous games ever have been superhero games from people who intentionally or unintentionally did not strike the right tone. And Mm -hmm. it's when you have characters that have that level of power and you can't check them without it being too obvious. Like, for example, early D&D party, right? Again, something most people can, can relate with those first few levels when the world is just so much more dangerous than you are. As a GM, you can be like, okay, they're acting rambunctious. They're not, you know, they're not respecting the world right now. They think they're big shots. A troll shows up ah like that's you know mm-hmm. suddenly the party is like oh the world and that feels <laughs> but <laughs> it exists oh. <laughs> it's this isn't just gary's mod i i have to respect the world a little bit it'll push back and that's a very low mental power thing to do just be like uh, a troll shows up and it's totally in fitting in fantasy fiction for a troll to just be like hey i'm a troll you know uh, we'll curb discussions of biases and monsters and stuff so it's just like Trolls showing up and being a thing in fantasy, like, it's not going to break anybody's believability bubble that, like, a troll shows up and it's time for a fight and you can check the players. In a superhero game, in a game with characters with lots and lots of power, the idea of just, like, it's hard to just have that, like, a troll shows up. Like, one of the, the... Core conceits of these styles of games is that your player characters are incredibly powerful. It is difficult to challenge them. There is an element of power fantasy there. And running a superhero game week to week to week to week, like let me tell you, the mental load on the GM, not only the number of things you have to think about. I'm a very low prep GM. I like to sprinkle out lots of hooks and see where the players go. So I prep multi directional. Like most, a lot of GMs will prep, I guess, long strands of plot. That's me. I kind of plan. Kind of the classic hex map style of D D. That's how I grew up. It's like, where do you wanna go? You know, or like Skyrim style or, or like, you know, these modern RPGs. Mm-hmm. Like, which quest do you wanna follow? I don't know what you're gonna pick. So I, I prep in multiple directions and just see which way they go. And then I'm gonna kinda like be making the game as they go. And I have some ideas, but I you know, I'm not really I'm trying to encourage their agency. When your player characters have a lot of power and ability, their ability to just burn through things and to just circumvent challenges is very, very high and it's very, very fast. Again, if I throw a troll at a D&D party in the early levels, it, that could be an hour, right? I can buy myself some yeah. time at the table, like uh, a troll shows <laughs> up. And while you're fighting, I can be thinking like, okay, what comes next? Yeah, oh yeah, no, this turn, you're next, you roll 15 damage, okay. But it's like, okay, what do I'm doing next? What's what's natural, what feels right to come after this scene, like the me- right. the mechanical complexity can buy me time in superhero games you it's a real challenge to do that i can see that being a huge challenge here like how do you prep for what four or five people in the setting can do <sighs> i don't know yeah
1: i mean i'm i'm looking i know that's a big that is a big question yeah. i mean i'm looking at the making character section of this mm-hmm. and like speaking of things like you know, these are ego traits or morph traits mm-hmm. you can not have like negative. There's a whole section on negative traits. Mm-hmm. So things like addiction, things like age, edited memories, having a black. What does a black mark mean? Hold on. Oh, a black mark. You did something in your past to yeah. earn a black mark in your reputation with one particular faction that continues to haunt your interactions. Mm-hmm. That's pretty common when it comes to things, but it's set here as a negative trait. So I find it really, what is this? Exotic morphology. That's cool.
0: <laughs> There's lots of cool stuff in this book. I think it's great. Yeah, there is a
1: lot. Oh my god, you can have identity crisis as an ego trait. <laughs> oh my god, it's me. Um
0: <laughs> I took the paula trait. <laughs> it's me. Uh <laughs>
1: which I think when you're talking about like how do you kind of like balance that out with your characters who who with your players who are like super powerful? Again, Super baby DM, like our home game is like my very first one mm-hmm. that I'm writing. And I am spending I am spending quite a lot of time. It's my it's my world to be creative, mm-hmm. right? And I a lot of the plot threads that I'm writing, I'm writing just because I think it's cool. Yeah, sure. And I write it in a way that I love you. You are my players. You're my favorites. How does it feel that God loves you? Uh, God being me. At least
0: in one realm, God loves me, right? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> in Lamai, um,
0: absolutely.
1: She loves you. She exists. The veiled woman. The veiled lady. Absolutely. Loves you. Um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's a way for me to think of the world that will keep going. There are certain things in the world like real life, that will go on without you. Mm-hmm, sure. That things will happen outside of your influence. Sure. And your influence can influence that. My way of prepping for the unpredictability of players is to, okay, how do how does the world turn right, <laughs> between sure. sessions? Mm-hmm. So I thread out what you all have done and the ramifications of that, plus the outline of what the actual theme or plot Overall campaign mm-hmm. plot that I have written down for this, like when and that all comes for me when it comes to folks who make character creation, because acknowledging that the world like revolves with or without you, I love being able to give y'all a chance to see that there are parts of you that matter so much to the world that it changes it, mm. and so when I look at like some of these like even like they negative traits. And all those different traits, like how do you kind of real superhero complex mm-hmm. players in just a little bit? In this case, I love the negative trait aspect that they put in here, even though that can get, you know, if you don't have a safe, if you don't have a good group, that would give you the safety tools to cope with it. That could be a thing. Mm-hmm. But being able to like yank on those threads going like hey, remember that black mark on your thing? This alarm goes off Mm -hmm. that someone spotted you because you have a black mark on your reputation. Someone recognized you because of X, Y, and Z. And they'd be like, oh, crap. (laughs) We can't be here.
0: (laughs) I guess the issue that I have is that, and having run superhero games where usually you get them with a feet of clay kind of thing, right? It doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. that Spider-Man wins every fight. He's got someone like Aunt May in his life. And... You know, he has to eat and sleep and go to school and he needs to take care of Aunt May. But in this game, so one, I guess, let's get into, I guess, the thing that I consider to be the, the stickiest issue in terms of running the game that I thought the game, I, like, I for a while I thought the game was trying to do a certain kind of thing. But then as I read, the more I felt like that was almost impossible to do. And I think that has to do with the ego and morph. Element specifically so let, mm. let, let, let's let's unpack that a little bit if you think of the morph as your hardware your physicality is your hardware again it's modifiable it's interchangeable like gear and it's not even gear like oh in D, my guy wields a sword and i have some feats that make me good with swords and that's like when i'm at my best it's quite literally you can like you can be a gorilla and then your gorilla body explodes and you are you come back as an octopus with only really minor time and negatives to it like changing out morphs in session is encouraged and i think that's really great and cool like it really changes the dynamic of how you think about the physical body you're just like no i I can just be whatever i want to be or need to be in any given moment and there's really no repercussions for it and the setting also reflects that and everyone at the table has that ability but then on top of that the ego itself like who you are as a person and identity the book seems to be kind of a a little bit on both ends about it, but it's quite explicit in some of the opening text, Like, who your ego is, is also modifiable. Your software, your sort of spirit. Like, if you have bad experiences, you can edit them out. If you die, you can reload to a prior save, essentially, of your of your backup self. You can multiply your personality. Like, you need to be in two places at once. You can literally, like, duplicate yourself and send a duplicate of yourself to go handle one thing while you handle another, with really no limits.
1: Did you pick up on... Are the like the success or failures or consequences of, you know, swapping out your morph and like or just resleeving or splitting your consciousness in that is it just like down to a skill check or a dice wall to whether or not you get your consequences thereof? There isn't like a trade off to be able to do that?
0: I mean it it seemed to me now and again I, I, I some parts I had to just do kind of a cursory read. But it seemed to me both in the setting text and in the rules that you could literally, like it even uses the terminology of like a save point. The Mm -hmm. idea that like, you know, I'm on mission. My firewall operative is this, you know, is running around, we're doing stuff. Body gets completely atomized. My ego gets captured and tortured. I can just like shut that down and reload my ego from an earlier space before any of that bad stuff even happened to me. And that's not like a... Mm-hmm. There's really no limit on that. It's just like, you can just do that. And in a, well, well, obviously like there's the part of me having, you know, been injured physically and having been hurt emotionally. I really like that idea. Like, I'm like, that's awesome. I sure would love to avoid bad things happening. But like the, in terms of like the practical, like I have to run a game for people and there's four or five in them at the table that can be switching out their bodies, can be essentially themselves and even the people like okay again the Spider-Man example if Spider-Man can just save a happier unharmed version of Aunt May on a server somewhere and something bad happens to her and he just reloads her as who she was before the bad thing happened like well that's a I mean the setting is quite explicit and the, the text is quite like the death is not really a huge deal and it's it's truly very difficult to like kill or permanently harm a character unless like someone really goes out of their way to do it that's a that strikes me as a very challenging place to be as a game master using kind of the traditional tool set of challenges and things you would do to a player. Yeah. You know, like even for someone like say Superman, right? Superman is like the de facto, like, oh, people always complain. How do you write for this character? And it's always like, no, you talk about all the people he cares about. He, he cares about Lois and Jimmy and he cares about Bibbo and he cares about, you know, uh, all, all these other people in his life. He can't be everywhere at once, even if he's super fast and super strong. But it's like in this setting he could be everywhere at once and also they could all have like backup selves just in case and so could he like the setting even talks about they call them forks right where you create this like alternate Mm -hmm. forked self where it talks about like hey your players might think i'll just make a hundred copies of myself and run around with an army and the text is like you can do that but people are going to be really upset because it's like frowned upon or something, and they could develop their own personalities and run off and do their own things. So you have like a hundred U's out there that are out, like multiplying and replicating and doing their own other stuff. And like, while I understand that in theory that's that's definitely a limit, I mean practically, if the chips are down, what is to stop your your group of like four or five people from just like multiplying not only their physical but also their like s- I hate to say spirit, but like both their ego and their morph, like rapidly multiplying and being in multiple places at once to get things done? Like it. It starts to like make your head hurt a little bit. <laughs> to,
1: yeah, I mean, do you, there's honestly, if I <laughs> I don't have the wherewithal to run a game like this mm-hmm. because it's going to take a lot of headspace. Yeah. Thank thank goodness I have a very good relationship with my therapist. Uh, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> like let me let me give an example. And I'm privileged enough to do it. Yeah, like let me one of the examples the that the text gives it talks about like okay like say your your characters need to have a meeting on Mars. But also need to do something on Jupiter. They might ego, they might fork themselves, like ego cast like a, a copy of themselves to Mars, right? So that the and like sleeve on Mars, so you have like versions of yourself on Mars doing the meeting, while your other versions of yourselves are on Jupiter, like doing something else. Like that's a pretty normal expected thing to be happening in the setting. That you you are both in body and spirit in two places at once doing multiple tasks. And so. Like and then when you come back together, there seems to be like I I couldn't quite tell. And again, this was just a cursory read, whether it's like do you just get kind of like an additive self back together with all those memories? Maybe one was just like a puppet, and you just kind of erase those memories and just pull the important stuff. I mean, again, software and hardware being fully editable in this sense, you can just kind of take the best of both worlds, I guess, if you really want to. I mean, that's cool. Like that's really like an engaging and awesome sci-fi idea. But I was just like kind of like I I just kind of had to sit with that and think. Okay, let's assume. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, was, mm-hmm. this was literally the thought experiment I went through. I was like, okay, let's imagine like I'm sitting there with my wife and she's like, hey, we need to go to the store. And I think, I don't really want to go to the store. That sounds boring. I will make a fork of myself. Again, making one copy of yourself seems to be well within the bounds of the settings. Like, hey, sure, totally do that. Sometimes you got to be in two places at once. Like, I'll just make a fork of myself. And he'll go to the store with you so that I can stay here and play video games. Like, is that is that, like, weird to do? Like, would my wife be offended that I didn't want to go with her so I made a copy so I wouldn't have to? Or would she be like, hey, thanks for at least wanting to still go with me. I'm glad we're going. But then what if she's like, actually, that's a good idea. We'll both fork and we'll just send our forks to the store and they can go do it and we'll stay here and snuggle and watch movies. Okay, that sounds pretty great. But then, like, what happens when those forks, like... Are we like using them? Like are they really tools? Like
1: I mean that comes that's what the I think the whole premise of this game yeah. is about is getting to like you really got to think about those yeah. questions and those are questions not everybody gets to sit down and think about but let's do it in a gamified way.
0: Yeah, see that's the and like then it, but then it, and it comes back to stuff like okay well, what happens if on that trip to the store my fork within the you know, the range of probability of, like, personality effects, like, does something that I would not have done, and the fork version of my wife doesn't like it. And when they get back, it's like, did I do something wrong? Like, would she be mad at, like, well, what if it, they did something that I wouldn't have done probability-wise, but that the fork of my wife really liked? And she came back, like, hey, you should do that more. And now I'm like, well, great. This other version of me... Like, was that, did I really do that? Like, do I need to do that more? Like, you know, or then like, what happens if they, which seems to be a thing in the setting, they just both decide that Bonnie and Clyde go rogue and go do off their own thing. And now it's like, well, now we don't even have groceries anymore. And we have these like two alternate us's running around, you know, causing crime or whatever. Like, but this is like a... <laughs>
1: and the bottom line, we don't have groceries.
0: Yeah. And it's like, I guess that's where I start to really like run up against the edge of the setting. Because when I start mm. to, uh, like, uh, the setting is very strongly posthumanist and transhumanist and yet I still live in a essentially a, a rather material world. And it's really mm-hmm. it's hard even for me as an individual to conceive of like mundane things with that level of power. And then you multi- <laughs> then you start to multiply that by like four or five other people at the table. You multiply that by like it's game night. We want to get stuff done. We want to do stuff. Go, you know, like, hey, let's play, let's do some stuff. I, I just see this like fractal of complexity coming out from that. And like it sounds like a lot. It sounds like it would really, like as a game master, it sounds like it would just stress me out. Like, <laughs> yeah, this
1: I what number one I will the for me the bottom line for Eclipse Face like this is not beginner friendly mm. in terms of you. I think you really do have to have some idea of like transhumanist like concepts. Mm. Or you know what? I'll take that back. Not beginner friendly in that it might be intimidating because it's like a big tome Mm. and things like that, and there's a lot of things going on with it, and it's a there's a lot of questions that inadvertently get asked. I would love to see somebody else run this that are professional, like actors and
0: storytellers, right?
1: Because I think the mechanics and the chant, like the left to chance aspect whenever I do watch like live plays and our actual plays is what's like the fun part about it. Mm. Like, you know, live theater in a sense, but to be able to engage, I think I don't have the wherewithal to write like a really compelling post-apocalyptic theme. There might be a way to play this game. If you, like I said, you there might not be room for slapdickery, but there might be, if you play it in the criminal aspect of it, like you could do a whole heist in this world, mm-hmm. and I think that might be fun with the possibility of like forking and run, like forking your um, forking, <laughs> forking. forking yourself in yeah. front of your friends. Um, yeah, right. totally. <laughs> oh my god, um, like yeah, the <laughs> going like you know, what if like you're playing the Bonnie and Clyde of you and your wife version, and they go off, and I want to see what your what that <laughs> campaign looks
0: right like. what a great game
1: I wanna know like the moment they're like fuck groceries <laughs> got to go steal something you know it- But we're gonna stay together because and so the the compelling story of like your you know Grant Grant B and wife B <laughs>
0: <laughs> Right running around um Griming.
1: running around is like I wanna see if like the the compelling part for me becomes like a romance story a little bit, I'm all like, oh, are they going to have different personalities? Right. Now that they're are separate, are they going to stay together? How is this adventure going to go? And that's kind of like, okay, that's kind of more fun stuff. What is
0: happens be. when we what happens when we fall for the evil versions of ourselves? Right. It becomes yes.
1: Oh my god. It becomes that's,
0: super complex, right? And the ultimate drama. Yeah.
1: And I think that might be where the fun. (laughs) I love how like dour we were for the first hour. We're like, this
0: could be fun. No, well, and I do want to talk about where I think it is gameable because that's really where we want to go. I think what surprised me when reading this, I knew a little bit about, like I had heard, like you can play an octopus. I'm like, that's cool. Like I knew, (laughs) you know, and I think it is beginner friendly in the sense that, like, quite literally anything goes. Like one of the big criticisms I have of, like, say traditional role-playing games like say Dungeons and Dragons. It's like it says dragons on the cover, but you can't even play a dragon. You can play Dragonborn now. That's a much more modern development. Literally only since like 2008 has that even been like a core book option to play Dragonborn. (laughs) Like I remember people like getting up really upset that Dragonborn were included in the core book in 2008 with fourth edition. But like you can't be a dragon. Uh there are games where you can play a dragon. Riffs, quite classically, being one of those where it's like, no, oh, you can just be a dragon. Like in this, if you want to do like I literally want to be like a sentient, like AI who doesn't have a physical body, like, okay. Like, uh, okay, well now I wanna be uh like a, a Jeep. Like I just wanna be a Jeep. Like I, I talk through honks, like, okay. Like this game can accommodate Basically any vaguely sci-fi character concept that doesn't involve like magic, right? Because it's a pretty, it's relatively hard sci-fi setting. So in that sense, it's very liberating, I think, and wonderful. And you can quite literally modify your character before, during, after, like there's no limits on what you can do. I think that's great. I will say though, that there is also a kind of an inherent beginner unfriendliness there because as an experienced role player, like there's a lot of options there to, to like do and change both mechanically and thematically. Like, if I was new, like, you know, when you're first new to this stuff, it's like, you don't, even when I'm new to a campaign sometimes, like, I don't always know who my character is. Like, I might have, like, I have, like, a vague sketch. But I discover sometimes who my character is in play. Yeah. When I start reacting to the world, reacting to the other players, what mood I'm in that week, you know, uh, quite classically in a, a, you know, again, another D&D campaign we ran years and years ago. I had a character concept. And as we started to play, I never really talked about his age. But as we started to play, he took on kind of a paternal role in the group. So Mm -hmm. retroactively, I was like, okay, well, he's actually like an older, he's like an old wolf. I mean, literally, he was a shifter, but I was this like graying old wolf. Mm -hmm. And like he became an older character as I played because that's the role I started to fill in the group. And that was really fun. But like this game expects you to, uh, I shouldn't say it expects. It feels to me like you really, you need to know what you want because you can do it. And this idea that, like, I'm just going to, like... You can't show up to this game with, a, a like, a surface-level character concept. Like, my guy, like uses a lot of pistols. You got to you really got to up your game here and like <laughs> you got to come with with a little bit more.
1: There's so many possibilities that it almost seems like why wouldn't you have like a super complex character when you're playing. Right,
0: exactly. Game? But it's interesting cuz you talked about the heist. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I want to kind of provide for context and what really struck me as soon as I started reading it. So a number of the the authors here are former Shadowrun authors and if you're not familiar with Shadowrun it is one of the guess
1: like, please. Yeah.
0: Shadowrun is also a huge role-playing property and video game property, and and all and all those kinds of things. Uh, from started in the '80s under FASA Corp, um, it's been through numerous editions. I think it's on like. 6th edition now. But its thing, it's big claim to fame back in the day was it was one of the earliest cyberpunk RPGs, not the first, but one of the earliest big cyberpunk kind of RPGs. And it's very cyberpunk surface level like in the aesthetic sense, right? Like it's all the chrome and the guns mm-hmm. and the the future stuff or whatever. And it was a very crunchy system. It was one of the first big dice pool systems. You roll big buckets of d6s and stuff. Um but it also hooked in Shadowrun's big thing was hooking in a lot of fantasy elements it was one of the first games to really mix that like it was a cyberpunk setting but you had trolls and orcs and dwarves and elves and they were explicitly trolls and orcs and dwarves and elves there was a lot in the world of like there were like in these big mega corps, like you know some of them were like run by dragons and stuff and it was a very like mix of science fiction and fantasy and tech and cyberpunk and all that stuff very very popular very cool always had great art always really super crunchy but one of its big kind of claims to fame was the sort of the, the shadow run like one of the, i guess one of the interesting things about the setting it has its own baggage right a game that was written back in the 80s like look it's got plenty of baggage yeah. but it, it also had a like like D. it really <laughs> condensed like there was a huge scope of the setting but it also gave you a very clear picture of like here's what the average game looks like right like what is the average D game you start in the tavern you travel by wagon you go in the dungeon you get the gold and the treasure and you leave right like not clearly not every game has to be that but in a pinch, you yeah. can fall back on that. And people are fine with it. Like, if they sign up for D&D, like, probably nine times out of ten, they're like, sure, that's fine. We can do this. Like, I knew when I showed up, like, this was a possibility, right?
1: Sometimes <laughs> unlimited soup and salad is really good.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, is this bread free? Let's have another order, right? Yes. Shadowrun's thing was the run, right? Yeah, the, the job, the heist. It was like that you literally were contacted by, by a Mr. Johnson, yes. this generic corporate overlord. All these megacorps are vying for power. Some corp needs a deniable asset. Your team gets called in. Here's the job. Here's the payout. Here's the site. Do the thing. And so if you take the dungeon and literally flip it upside down and make it a skyscraper, there's the heist. You got you to case the joint. You got to figure out security, you know, and everybody has the role. Who's the wheel man? Who's the gunner? Who's the rigger? You had all these different elements and you had to run, you know, it was basically leverage, right? But you could also be a troll. It was leverage, but yes. you were a troll. I want to play this game so bad now. We'll talk about Shadowrun another day in more detail, but there's some there's some baggage there. I meant like leverage. I want to play like a leverage high school game. There is a leverage game that is a thing. So reading this, like seeing the Shadowrun elements, like even in the structure of the book, like there's a whole chapter here on the mesh, the internet. Well, in the old Shadowrun yes. games, there was always there's a chapter on the Matrix, on the Internet, right? Like that's a thing. Like so, even the shape of it, I think, is very similar. And in, when you look at both the Firewall and the like the, of the three campaigns they suggest, Firewall, Gatecrasher, and Criminal. Firewall and Criminal both share a lot of that Shadowrun DNA, and you can see it in the the example yeah, teams too. This idea that like it's this, this eclectic group, each one has their own special skills and so forth. You're running a job. And like yourself, one of the things I thought was like, man, I would really like to hear somebody else run this game. So I actually listened to a podcast. Mm -hmm. I I went and did some searching. I saw some people recommend having the same problem I was having. Hey, I'm having some trouble visualizing what this looks like in play. You guys recommend any actual play podcasts? I went to one of the more popular ones that was recommended. I listened. I only listened to one episode, but it was a three-hour episode. So it was a pretty, pretty full session. And you know what? In practice, it was pretty much like a Shadowrun game with a lot of the baggage kind of stripped out and with a lot of new opportunities thrown in. But it was very much structured around like, we got a heist, we got a job, we've got to do it. And so they were going through, you know, we're going to ego cast into each other's minds and run simulations to get the job right. And, you know... It had some extra science fiction elements, but it was still very focused, very mission focused. So that definitely strikes me as a possibility here. Like you want to run it as like a almost episodic mission focused game. Don't get too caught up in the like long campaign and ramifications and stuff. Really boil it down to those missions. Get comfortable with the characters in the system and all that kind of stuff. But that also kind of illustrates, I think, one of my big problems with it, because when I imagine games taking place in, like, the Planetary Consortium, right, the hyper-capitalist, you know, zone where you want to be, like, running jobs and hurting the corpse and trying to break people out and stuff like that, that's one of the hardest places, like, I'm like, what does it look like moment to moment on the street? How do you challenge the player characters in that space where they have full access to all their technological stuff and the enemy may not necessarily even know they're coming they can just kind of smash and grab and like what's to stop them what's to challenge them it's really hard to imagine how the world pushes and pushes back in a way that isn't just the PCs come in and destroy everything and who can stop them like (laughs) so i struggle with that
1: I would really have to play, like, I would really have to think of it like a leverage yeah. episode. I, at one point, I'm going to make it a <laughs> like leverage, too. Because I, I really think, for a show that came out of, like, the mid-aughts talking about how to take down big corporations at the height of, like, the Great Recession, it was a comfort show.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And so, yeah, like, when you're running a heist, let say, at the Planetary Consortium, like, you really got to get clever about bringing in some, like, real-world yeah. aspects of it. So that it becomes relatable. And how do you deal with that once? if you? How do you deal with very real world mm-hmm. aspects in a superhuman way?
0: Right. And in a setting that is quite alien. You know, I, I'm yes. not saying alien like, ah, this is scary. I don't want it. Like, again, I think all the like post-humanist, transhumanist stuff is really amazing and incredible. And like, who wouldn't want that? But it's also really hard to imagine what that's like. And the the setting kind of assumes that the characters are... Super comfortable doing all these things. As easy as you or I might open Twitter and send a tweet, right? Like, I feel like if you ask somebody in the 1950s to imagine how social movements in 2022 would use Twitter to organize. And I could be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I, I, you know, (laughs) like, I'm just, like, I'm living (laughs) in the 1950s. I'm just excited by, like electricity indoors and central air conditioning and you're talking about a what now like i feel like i'm trying to imagine something that i i, I really don't have the the ability to so i, I struggle with that i also feel like the shadow run like one of the things about Shadowrun run that made it pretty manageable as a setting for a game master again that's always my perspective to like run like yeah the player characters were quite potent you know i had friends that they always run the troll and they had head-to-toe body armor and they could pull a chain gun out of the back of the van and the rigger was in the you know was two miles away hacking and and controlling drones and they did all that stuff but there were some elements of the setting that were kind of immovable like the megacorps were presented as these just like like they were like they were just like mountains like you just couldn't there was no way they were so large they were so powerful they were so rich You you could never bring to bear what they brought to bear. They were just bigger than you. And while like thematically, I don't like that, like the idea that the corpse just win and they're immovable, (laughs) so you have to like run jobs for them forever. It's like this is pretty bleak and sad and not what I want. It is in terms of like a gameable space. It helps, right? It keeps you. It's like your players, and the players knew that. The players were sort of like it's very clear. Like no, you can't stop them. Like you're going to be playing your games and getting your money. Like you're all just trying to survive, like one run to another, because you know they're too busy playing their multinational games and all that stuff. Like you, you couldn't ever stop them; you just couldn't.
1: It gave you your boundaries,
0: right? Right, and this is a setting with very few boundaries. And I thought that's what the game was going to be was a little more shadow runny, like that. I'm running, like your team is like running around doing stuff with other humans. But the more I read it, and the more I thought about it, it feels like the game is both pushing you towards and only manageable as the sort of external threats like that individual death and individual identity are really like you it's really hard to kill or stop these individuals but it seems like the human race itself while it's advancing is really on a knife's edge and it's the titans it's these alien you know beings it's like the threat is to like the entirety of humanity So it really feels like it's pushing you towards either the firewall or the gatecrasher campaigns where, yeah, when you're at home base, you've got all the resources in the world. You can just get new morphs. You can change your identity, whatever you want to do. But like you jump through that gate and you're somewhere else and you're suddenly, you know, before you make the jump, you've got all the resources in the world. But once you make that jump, suddenly you're cut off from a lot of that. And even if you can reload to a save point or something, you might still fail the mission because you're so far from home. You're so far from your resource base. And then there's the tension. Like, yeah, I personally may not die. And I personally may have two or three backup morphs in the vehicle we brought. (laughs) But, like, the mission itself may fail. And if the mission fails, humanity is over. There's the tension. Yeah. At least to me. And that also feels like the manageable stuff. Like, okay, you're on this alien world where you don't know what's going on anymore. And as the GM, I have some say in what actually happens. And you maybe can't just fork yourself 50 times and solve all your problems whereas within the solar system itself it feels like they have so much power and leeway it would be really hard to challenge them at all or make them face any consequences even if you do quote unquote win the fight right like even if you do defeat the party even if they bring they each bring 100 forks but you bring 500 battle tanks and just run them all over or you hack all their brains at once and shut them down they still just reload to save points and do it again tomorrow you know like so the like the it's so weird because it feels like that's where the setting is so engaging it's all the solar system stuff but it doesn't really feel like you're supposed to play there it feels like because if you did you would just win and maybe I'm wrong on
1: that I <laughs> no wonder like am, am I, I don't know I think about I mean it's a it's a, com- it's a compelling thought for sure and I'm, I'm definitely with you and I can see you. maybe it's me maybe I'm just messy I love human drama oh. <laughs> Sometimes when- No, I do too. Like that very first story of like the brother and sister, the conflict between the two of them, the tension in the relationship. I probably wouldn't, like that's a, man, that's such a great backstory to like, if I were to play say Tearslay in that and then she becomes trans, like transcendental and goes into like the gate campaign. Oh man, I, I would love to play this as like a one-on-one game that
0: that was my other thought that for a solo game
1: for a solo game i think this would be really fun like i would love to play this with you like this would be interesting we yeah wouldn't it be
0: cool to like run sessions of this like it would be wild right (laughs) yeah
1: between like you and me and then i think in that sense like you can play in a solar system that well because yeah you're right like i think if you're playing like as a group or as a campaign going through the outside of your home base of the solar system might be more manageable i would love to see what the gate campaign looks like because you get to make up what's on the other side of that gate
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
1: you can pull in from your you know pick your favorite sci-fi theme right that kind of thing but like i think playing this as a one-on-one game would either become a best like a hyper best friend maker or I don't know you anymore. <laughs> and our relationship yeah. has like completely changed.
0: Yeah. And
1: I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah.
0: I Like I guess like one of my thoughts is that because well, – I guess what shocked me was that the ego replication, I guess, mm. I, I was – a li- not that I necessarily feel like, well, there has to be like a singular soul and – that it's like immutable like i don't i don't that's not what i guess what i'm getting at but i like i was re- like i was like okay sure the body is whatever do whatever you got to do change whatever you want to change that's fine but i felt like there would be like again because the ego has stats right like right. i thought okay well then that must be like the immutable part of your character and one of the tensions of the game is like who am i at my core but if that's modified... if if every aspect of you is modifiable down to like it just feels like it atomizes you and it's almost like well then why if I can change every aspect of myself and I can infinitely replicate myself and then each one of those is not really even under my control. They also all become independent beings. Ship
1: of Theseus? Start- like,
0: yeah but it's like it's like a flotilla of ships of Theseus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it feels like an armada of them and they're not there's no it doesn't really the setting and the mechanics don't really feel like it's supposed to be like taking you a long time to deal with that. Like, you can change on the fly, like, immediately, and there's really not too much cost. I just, it it makes me, there's so, that's so broad, I'm like, how, like, and especially in a a group game setting, like, when four or five people are rolling dice and you're doing stuff, do you really have time to have, like, a reflective personal moment? Like, when the Avengers are fighting the Justice League or whatever, does Spider-Man have time to go, gosh, I leave my webs all over town? (laughs) <laughs> if I really thought about the mess, my tools. No, you've got all you've got time to do is like I pick up the car and I throw it, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. It can be really it can be really hard to have those. So like I think like you're saying like in a one on one sense, I think the door is like wide open. I think it'd be incredible. I mean, you could explore things like are the other people in my in the party like when I meet up with them week to week, are they even the same people? Are they all just alternate forks of myself? I would. Oh my god, their, you know, love
1: like, to have
0: like, that as a like. <sighs> you could you could and one-on-one role-playing is really really fun i've done it a lot of times it's super engaging and like that sounds so amazing oh man we gotta
1: find a good one-on-one game to talk about
0: yeah because
1: my experiences with like riffs was one was mostly one-on-one
0: yeah i've run a lot of one-on-one riffs too it was a lot of fun and
1: wild oh my god (laughs) it's so funny
0: riffs is one we're gonna have to tackle one
1: yeah for sure
0: And I guess the other thing is from the GM perspective, having run a lot of superhero games, it's challenging to run a team of superheroes and like keep track of all their abilities, keep track of everything they can do. Even when they're like, I mean, imagine you're running like Lex Luthor, Bizarro, Gorilla Grodd, and like Cheetah, right? (laughs) Those are pretty defined characters with very clear looks and you have a pretty good idea of what all their powers are. But gosh, that's a lot of stuff to manage for one person to fight like the other And to, like, make it a compelling engagement with the party.
1: You know what I mean? To make that believable.
0: Yeah, and make it, like, feel believable and, like, kind of tense. But then, like, multiply that by, like, okay, now the entire enemy group that, like, would be opposing the players has access to all these other same super flexible immediate tools they have. I don't even know, like...
1: Like, how do you... How do you... How would you play, like, a rival heist team?
0: Yeah, what does that look like? How would you... How would you do a chase scene if, like, you... They can just, like, bamf out of their bodies... Switch on the fly. Like, it feels like you would just all end up... Like, I just keep seeing everybody fighting in, like, the internet weird space. Like, you just... Your egos are all fighting in the internet. And, like, that's how <laughs> it ends. Because <laughs> the physical is completely irrelevant oh, uh, and it's, at a certain it's point. It's just it like that Akira
1: like, shot you just zoom out it's just big. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right? Right? Um But the... So, the only thing that I can really think of that would be manageable is to do something like... I guess it would just be more cathartic, which isn't a bad thing. It's also fun to do this, but like have the players run around in the Jovian Republic just just clowning on the military dudes, just clowning on the junta. Like these people are the worst, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. We're just going to trash them and who cares? Like and that is like, you know, don't get me wrong, it's fun to have, you know, to use our superhero analogy. It's fun to have Spider-Man save little old ladies from muggers, right? Like it's easy it's easy stuff, right? Captain America punching Nazis, like it's great. Just have them just like blowing up junta stuff like just running around the jovian republic doing that whole thing that would be great i wouldn't call it challenging necessarily yeah. but you know they could they could just do whatever and that'd be fun but i also feel like that would probably have a diminishing returns like again week to week session to session yeah. it'd be hard to keep that compelling it's like okay we just blew up another military base and yeah, i don't know um so it feels like it's meant to do the external games and the big macro threats, because the individual threats are kind of irrelevant. And that could also be, now I do, there is some system bias there, because it is a D-100 system. It's clearly playing in like an Eldritch Mythos thing, and the Call of Cthulhu games classically are one of the more popular D-100 games. In the same way that the D-20 is often associated with D&D almost immediately, the D-100 is quite iconically the Call of Cthulhu thing even though it didn't necessarily start it it definitely popularized it and is the most popular d100 game system so eldritch horrors nightmares from beyond again the cover is you know these astronauts fighting you know a swarm of like nano monsters or something like it's about survival and horror right there on the cover right so it feels like you're supposed to be fighting these like truly grand threats that even being able to replicate yourself and suffer no immediate consequences and survive at all Still may not be enough because you're fighting just like true yeah. grand threats that could just like wipe out humanity. So, Oof. yeah.
1: So yeah, and then it becomes less like heroic gathering together and more like running for your lives and trying to figure out how to best survive as a species. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. And the, it, the exurgent threats and all that. Right. And yeah. like, who cares if you? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Your mind can be reloaded from a server, but what happens when this this entity Destroys the planet the servers on, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, t- there, right there. Tensions back, fear is back. Failure has consequences, like, and I don't think you know death has to be the only threat, but it is a, for a, in a group setting, a group gaming setting, long term consequences what's the classic human long-term consequence not being around anymore right it's a it's an easy easy pull so I, i feel like that's the way the game is pushing you but i guess i just wasn't expecting that like the more i at first when i was reading the setting i was like oh this is totally a like inner system political game and then like the more i read i was like i don't know how long you could do that because it feels like it feels like you would just all be ruling the world Within a few sessions. Like, I don't even know how you'd stop the player characters. I think as
1: as we kind of, like, wind down, my biggest takeaway from Eclipse Phase was, one, it is just a very good read. Like, very just good sci-fi read, period. Mm -hmm. Writers, Mm -hmm. super good. Definitely will love to buy the physical copy, just Mm -hmm. to put in my little, like, literature shelf. My biggest takeaway for this is that I feel like this is the type of game where having a railroaded game in this setting... Will benefit you more than open world setting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You need to 100% know where your plot thread is going to go, and you know, give your players that you know your choice and this and that. But it's very much like I I need some handlebars on the story thread Mm -hmm. because it can get again get intense. So those handlebars will also is part of your safety tool should be part of your safety tools have. Like, all good games have clear expectations on, like, the themes you want to tackle going in. Mm-hmm. Because they can get lofty, they can get tough. You, you might step on a landmine that you didn't know another like an, your friend had. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're dealing with very realistic negative traits and story mm-hmm. threads mm-hmm. And, the, and and hard themes. That sci-fi is very much well known for tackling. Mm -hmm. so i think even if for me if i were to play something like this it would definitely be one a very railroaded game because i need those handlebars so that we stay Mm -hmm. on task and that it becomes a consensus on where we want to go and Mm -hmm. the themes that you want to tackle so that you can have that room for heists shenanigans should they come
0: up Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: and you know the horror like the cosmic horror aspect of it i think to like be very clear if that's where you're gonna end that that's where it might end up going Mm. because me being a very empathetic person which is the reason why i don't watch like horror or like thriller sometimes because then i'm just in a bad mood (laughs) i'm just like a total downer (laughs) for like two weeks afterwards because i get very like I wear my heart on my sleeve. I get very emotionally attached to the stories I watch, um, even mm-hmm. if they're good, compelling stories. So, if at any point you're going to touch upon like those themes, you know, have some aftercare sessions <laughs> right f- afterwards sure. to like kind of smooth things over and really talk and mm-hmm. have that catharsis. Because I think that catharsis is very heavy. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. healthy, rather. Mm. This is such a dense game in the best of ways. That yeah. the catharsis of it at the end or wherever it might land is, I think, was really necessary if you're going to run it because mm-hmm. you don't want it to just be grim dark. You need to be able to have the hope, like the hopefulness. I think in sci-fi genres, right? And it's the catharsis part of it that lets you release whatever emotions or big thoughts. that might be floating in your head when dealing with existential identities and (laughs) stuff like that, you need to be able to like let that go and then come out the other side going, yes, that was a transformative experience, which
0: is what Mm -hmm. it's all about. Yeah. No, big big agree on everything you just said there. And I feel like that's probably part of why, like you mentioned, doing a one-on-one. That's where I – like running running the setting and system as it exists, like right here in front of me and – it's such a dense work editing it would and trying to change it would be difficult anyway. Mm -hmm. I would see it as a very robust single player experience or as a, a very outwardly focused group experience. Again, we're going to focus on the cosmic horror. We're going to focus on, you know, this is the tension. You finally can be the person you want to be emotionally, physically, moment to moment, minute to minute, day to day. None of that is set in stone, but humanity itself is, right on the edge of the abyss you've got you finally kind of have your 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 reward right like this is the the joy and the the sort of the this is the dream you're living it you can just be who you want to be but humanity itself faces extinction right you have to protect that if even though the world is, is bad maybe you can protect this little slice of heaven that you have which is being who you want to be and i feel like in a for a group dynamic that works i think that's an easy hook for a group that lives in a material world right like we mm-hmm. our material conditions are not fully post-human transhumanist right like we still have to deal with a lot of material conditions imposed on us but i think extinction as a big capital e threat kind of thing is still something that is very relatable and uh, no matter whether we're playing right now or 10 years from now right hopefully we're all still around 10 years from now uh- <laughs>
1: i would look great as like a 50 year old i'm just saying
0: no arguments here the the game, I think, works really well on that level. I feel like the, you can really get into the weeds and the minutiae of a highly dense set. Like, I feel like I'd be constantly asking questions at the back of the class, yeah. right? Like, how do you, you know, e- even down to basic stuff, because this is just my experience of running lots of games for lots of players over the years. Like, okay, the game uses reputation as essentially a, a currency stat, right? Which is not uncommon in these games. One of the first things you run into, though, is whenever money is a stat and not like a real countable amount people start asking questions if you have two pips of resource and i have three pips what's the difference is that like five thousand dollars difference is that a hundred thousand even if you tell people it doesn't matter it's just supposed to be like a generalization they still want to know and they still start asking those questions and you still run up against it and the game says okay that doesn't matter because we live in a post-scarcity society but then it's like okay but we're going into the hyper-capitalist planetary consortium where like money is a thing and people are going to start asking like the more you get into that minutiae it's like "Ah, this gets really challenging and i think that challenge kind of washes away if you really focus down again on like a single experience a single player Mm -hmm. that could be alleviated truly like this is a game where the possibilities are so endless that it's intimidating and i would really like to see what like an experienced gm who is like eclipse phase is my jam my players love it we do all the political crime stuff I I would be amazed to see what that looks like. I would love to watch that. I'm sure it's got to be incredible. But from my reading, just from what I've seen and stuff like that, that seems to be a, a common holdup, I guess. Like, I'm certainly not the first person that's run up into the, like, what do you do with that? Like, it seems like the gate crashing and the firewalling seems to be the norm. So... That, I guess that, and that is, that is almost kind of a letdown in a way. Like, this, this, the setting is so compelling. Every paragraph is just brimming with ideas. And it's like the first thing you're supposed to do is like, I feel like I'm like, run away from it. <laughs> cause I have, cause I'm not reading a novel. I'm having to tell a group storytelling experience yeah. with challenges and setbacks and consequences. And it's like, I don't see how you get that without running out and like hopping through wormholes and running away from the setting. Oh, and that feels like, man. no. I, It feels like such a betrayal, you know? Yeah.
1: Oh, gosh. You know what? Like, when we get into, like, sci-fi novels for this show, because this is... Mm -hmm. Because originally when we started talking about this show and developing it, we were going to do Legend of Galactic Heroes, right? Right. Like... What if we, like, would you use Eclipse Phase in a Legend Galactic Heroes kind of setting? Like, I want to know what that's like. I want to read, like, sci fi novels and see if I can, if these mechanics will work with it, you know? Because there's, well, there's definitely sci fi novels we could read. And I would totally the, oh, read sci fi novels set in this world. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, man
0: where an author has that kind of control and that over perspective and scope I get 100%. But Legend of Galactic Heroes is a great example. Yes, it is the future and yes, there's spaceships, but you know, what do you do to help people grok that setting, right? The I can't remember the author's name right now, but you know, he he writes these settings which are basically analogs to 18th, 19th, 20th century government styles, you know, of course they're magnified, but they're still walking around in epaulets and they wear capes and they're basically ancient regime Kind of uh, uh, body politics, and yeah, there're now it's like instead of regiments of musket armed soldiers, it's like, oh, they have just thousands of spaceships with laser cannons, but you know the conflict may have a different kind of skin to it, mm-hmm. but it's still fundamentally a, a conflict we understand. With human people and the same kind of human concerns, you know, expressions of power and so on and so forth. I mean, again, that's still a human story in a, a science fiction setting, but it's still relatively human in that sense. And that's, again, this game is really challenging. And I mean that as a compliment. It's like, you know, you can't fall back on that stuff. You can't just go, oh, this is space Germany. Like, you don't get to do that. Like you gotta, you gotta grapple with it, you know. This is, this is, this is speculative fiction, and you gotta speculate. You can't just yeah. sit on the sidelines. Like you gotta get in the ring with this thing. Yeah,
1: we def- I definitely want to like do more. Well, obviously, this this is what this show is all about. Read more speculative fiction, especially. Well, again, when we when you first handed this to me, I was like, why isn't every sci-fi story a diaspora immigrant story, mm. effects of colonialism story, for the people who are mostly affected? <laughs> from and even as they (laughs) brought up in the eclipse phase there was like that anarchy area not just like focuses on you know no laws we're here to help each other that's mutual that they they said the words mutual aid in it right right Mm -hmm. and that is revolutionary that comes down to who who is your community when you can be transcendental right who are your people who are you as a person when you're transcendental Mm -hmm. and how do you create Mm -hmm. mutual aid so that you can survive together Right. Like that's-
0: and that's, I, lo- I love the very overt and well-thought-out political element of the setting. I think it's brilliant. I love it. And especially because, again, to to talk about Shadowrun, yeah, the megacorps being essentially these immovable objects in the setting was a helpful guardrail like we've talked about politically it's kind of a letdown to be like well ultimately you will live and die beneath the shadow of these horrible megacorps and you really have no alternative to escape them and you're ultimately serving their whims even if you're making a couple of bucks on the side that's kind of that's that's bleak in its own way right and yeah and so much science fiction does not challenge the status quo it's just the status quo with laser beams. So, like, I like that this is a really, and again, I mean that as a compliment, a challenging work. This is known, what would it look like to have these communal societies and stuff with the power, you know, with the, the power dynamic is flipped. They have all the power, really. You know, they have the power to go in there and just knock the Jovian Republic around or whatever. Like, they, they have that potential, and who could stop them? And I think that's great. But then it comes to, like, the gameable problem, right? It becomes the other problem where, like, thematically, it's like, this is great, but then, like, how do I run a game? Mm-hmm. Where the play, because I have run a lot of games where you know the tension is this nebulous thing. If the players feel like every time I roll the dice I succeed, you know, every time I go up against a threat it can't hurt me, why did I learn all these rules? Why did I write down all these stats? Honestly, the more I read it, and I, it's not a a, a knock on the system. But it is kind of an element of like, because you're so freeform, why aren't we just playing this in something like Fate or Cortex? And there is a Fate uh, version of this (laughs) where it's, it's like you strip out all the other mechanics and it's just kind of pure the narrative stuff, right? Or another thought that I had, this is a game that I haven't read too much, but it's from one of my favorite authors, Jenna Moran. She does, her vision for the RPG space is just not like what a lot of other authors do but she's got a game uh, noblis which is where you you know you are playing gods and it's very high concept and there are a number of high concept games where you play sort of god beings but noblis is like it really pushes like it'll you know very it's like strong absolutes like if you're like the god of war none of the other players can beat you at war right they just have to figure out another way to do something cuz if they challenge you you will win right so like it almost makes me feel like you should be playing this like you essentially are god beings right you can modify the self and modify the physical and the mental and the spiritual and you really can't die and there's really not that much of a limit on what you can do It's like you just might as well play deities right like why don't mm-hmm. we just use a deity game to run this and say okay well i'm not smiting i'm using my m76 you know <laughs> laser beam super trace alter gun or whatever but like you know you might as well play in a looser system that already assumes okay these are gods
1: did you as a quick tangent, did you finish *Common Writer Gaim?
0: No, I haven't finished Gaim.
1: Dang it! <laughs> I can't make that comparison. So... There is a god. There is a godlike being that ends up in Gaim. and even in like *Build* too, they were dealing with a godlike being. Like there
0: mm-hmm. couldn't be mm-hmm. being. right. But I, and even then though, it's like that was the threat. Right, you're dealing with a you're you know deicide. What a great compelling mission for the party to be on to kill a god, right? Like, how much fiction do we love that wrestles with that?
1: Can you make a common writer like campaign in an eclipse phase as you're bringing up like different systems and different storylines? Yeah. I immediately thought, like, since we're trying to be transcendental human, I'm all like, why isn't this a common writer story?
0: Oh, it 100% could be, but and there, I guess therein lies the rub. To me, is like mm. so much of common writer and so many super again fundamentally a superhero, superhero story that the person, even though the suit changes and the powers change, the person within the suit is rather consistent. Mm. You know, think think about trying to tell a story like, say, common Rider Kuga. Imagine if Gorayusuke could make another Yusuke who did not suffer the things that he suffered, or if he came up against a threat and said, well, just for a quick minute, I need for there to be five Godai's to solve this problem, and then I'll just shut down the other four. It, you can see how there'd be an issue that you start to struggle with, like, how, okay, how do you create tension and lasting consequences for that character? Like, I guess that's the thing that shocked me, is the replicatable ego. Mm-hmm. really surprised me. Not, not Is it just morph, that one mechanic?
1: Right. Is the really? Ego yeah. Okay.
0: Like, yeah. I, and not even the editing part. Like, the, it gets to be, I guess that was the big question mark I had. Even the the ability to edit your ego didn't surprise me. But it's like, okay, if I can if I can, if my hardware on, you know, to use the hardware software analogy for Morphin Ego, like, if I can change out the hardware I can modify it I can replace it And that's not a big deal. I mean, it's it's just some minor negatives, but for the most part, it's not only not a big deal, it's encouraged. If I can change out, modify, replace the software, not a big deal. It's often encouraged. And I can also replicate both of those things pretty much infinitely with the only real drawback being that other people tend to not like it when you do that it's kind of frowned upon mm. i mean what if the modern era has taught us anything that things that other people frown upon is not really that big yeah, so <laughs> not really a big like, deal um big uh, oh no not yeah it's like who, who cares especially in a system that's so so much about the kind of the individual it's like i don't know how you challenge that character within the bounds of a lot of the usual storytelling conventions and challenges and setbacks that game masters or storytellers and authors will throw at a character like that.
1: Right. Which is why like it's going towards the cosmic horror aspect of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's why I feel like it laps around the back because it's like, well, you can't really do the human-facing thing because humanity is so unrecognizable and you are so unrecognizable. And I think it's a positive sense in many ways. But like, I don't know how you would challenge four or five of those people around the table week in, week out and make it not feel, you know, uh, okay. To another example, say, right, like your, your standard D and D party, you know, death and long-term consequences aren't necessarily forefront in their mind either, Mm -hmm. but there's a definite progression in power. There's this assumption that, okay, you're starting out in one place, but you will grow in strength and importance. And even though that's pretty much all positive and all benefits all the time, right? Like, Every week I show up and and, uh, I get more powerful. This is awesome. I love it. There is a sense of progress, but it's like if you started a campaign at level 20 and the characters are like unstoppable and (laughs) it's like they can do whatever they want, I I feel like the tension would be gone. It's like if you can just kind of do whatever you want and in some senses, those limitations help because when you put a barrier in front of the characters and they blow through it, then they feel better. And the next barrier is a little bit taller, and they blow through that. And they, you know, like there's that sense of like I'm accomplishing something. There's some feedback. I'm not sure if an inner system facing game. I don't know how you do that outside of a solo role playing experience, where you can also use the tension valve of like we're gonna slow down and get reflective because mm-hmm. it's just a GM and one player, and we're gonna really like explore some like questions you might be having and some identity stuff you might be having that. I don't know if you could do that with four other people sitting around. You know, yeah,
1: there would have to be, yeah, there would have to be a lot of trust and a lot of time taken off. Yeah, like a really good session zero <laughs> to talk
0: about. Stuff. Yeah, well, even even the sense of like, so Shadowrun had this again to bring up Shadowrun. Used to call it the pizza problem. Uh, the idea was that you had the hacker who would hack into you know interfa- interface with computer stuff and hack, and all of that was like its own full mini game with as much robust mechanics as anything else in the game you know it was a crunchy game built in the 80s and it was really cool as the like you know from like a macro sense like oh hacking is as detailed as combat that's really cool probably the next thought you're probably going to have is, okay well, when somebody's hacking what is the rest of the party doing a lot of times you're like, all right, we're going to go order pizza and do something else. Let us know when you're done. Like, <laughs> everyone else kind of disengages. And I worry that the, the sort of inner turmoil that you could explore would become a pizza problem. Mm. Like, you know, okay, if you two are going to sit there and really talk through what that character's going for, that's fine. I'm going to go play Candy Crush. Right? Like, I'm yeah. hot, just let me know when you're done. And yeah, You
1: would, you would need to have, again, you <laughs> would need to have other players with you who are invested just in you.
0: Right. You know? Right.
1: To be an audience of you, and sometimes that can happen. You could have magical friends in that sense.
0: Yeah, I, I, but that—that's—that's ever- asking
1: a lot of just like sitting down around a table,
0: right? And then what do you do when after you sit there for an hour on Friday, watching one of your, you know, best friends and the GM really go through this like transformative role playing sequence? But then by the time you get together next Friday, they go, "I didn't like where my character was going last week, so I've my my ego has edited that out, and that that just didn't happen." Mm -hmm. oh and that like they're totally within their bounds and right to do that and like wouldn't we all want to be able to edit our personalities and memories like like in terms of like the science fiction element it's like that's great but in terms of like the game element i'd i'd feel a little upset i think i feel like you guys did that for an hour and
1: but that's something (laughs) that i guess like you would have to talk about the following week it's like yeah i think i want to go back and edit that but then like okay but the how do the other characters feel about you resetting yourself and how does where does that tension come then it becomes like an interpersonal tension kind of thing and again you really have to do that with like there's the challenge of i guess eclipse phase ultimately it's a challenging book in the best of ways and it's going to put your group in a, through a ringer no matter what yeah, you for do sure. not saying that it will to discourage anyone but it has the possibilities to do so
0: right i would be surprised if it didn't and you know what's funny is we, even when i was looking up i was trying to look up other people's discussions mm-hmm. of the game and i would say all but one of the, any, except for the discussions that were like one or two posts, like any, there was comment sections on blogs or it was people's discussions on forums. You could, like, I would just, I started just scrolling a little down and without fail every one of them devolved into a philosophical debate.
1: I wouldn't see why not.
0: Yeah, it's like you can't, you just, and I, I think that's the game's greatest strength. I mean, what what other work can you say? Like you literally can't even talk about it without like everybody laying on the floor and like hashing yeah, out. what it means to be a human. <laughs> what it means to be. Like what does it mean? Like what a powerful work. Even like I've had more philosophical gaming reading the book than, yeah. you know, whole other campaigns I've read. Hey,
1: I studied philosophy for four years. Right. <laughs> I know what that's like to come home home or in my case come like crawling into your like three person dorm room <laughs> wondering who you are as a person because your existentialism <laughs> class had such a heavy lecture <laughs> and then you have like you have a department head going paula do you want to just stay for another half year just be a double major and i'm like listen dr Taze, i love you you bring your bird to class every time <laughs> I I have a philosophy professor who would bring her bird to class every class and she would speak to the bird.
0: That's the ultimate dream of eclipse phase. What would I do? I would remove even the single brain cell and simply become a bird in a philosophy class. Just chirping, eating my little crackers. I don't have to worry about rent. I don't have to worry about (laughs) insurance. I don't have to like clock into things. I just eat my little crackers. We have uplift.
1: (laughs) Can we have a delift please?
0: Yeah I want to down. Downlift. I want to. I want to drop, please. I just want to be an octopus, like literally. <laughs> I want to be a just, tiny little bird in, in a
1: cage in a philosophy class.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> amazing. <laughs> there, there's, there's some role playing I want to get into, oh, right? But I, I, I think that speaks to the power of this work, and I didn't even like. I couldn't even read all of it. There's mm-hmm. so much, and it's all so good. good. I'm like, yes, yes, this is great. But I. I was challenged to even think of how to run a game Mm -hmm. in it. Like, I can see how you can tell unlimited amounts of stories in it. And perhaps this is a good example of, like, sometimes a game is full of stories, but you have to be much more careful about how many games it really has in it. Because you're still a baby DM, and you haven't had a lot of bad experiences, and I'm very grateful for that. But having a bad table experience, especially, like, (laughs) face-to-face, Like that's where part of some of my fear comes from. Is like when you have a bad experience, it is not. It is capital B bad, and it can it can be a real. I mean, I've you know, heard y-
1: enough horror stories from my like veteran friends. All five of you, I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have many friends. Um, <laughs> that's not true. I have very good friends. Of how some of your experiences at a bad table, and I'm just all like, I am. Personally, I'm trying not to be terrified of that.
0: It's not like it's not the worst thing in the sure. I mean, It can be. But like, you know, even after a good session, there's a bit of a like a downer yeah. feeling you know, kind of like, ugh, you know, you kinda of have to like process. You even have a to aftercare you know, like, every good time. Session. Yeah, it's a performance. It's a stage show, right? And so it it, it can it can be a lot. The the potential even well intentioned groups could run into some real some real stuff mm-hmm. here, I think. Um, and, but I, I like I like that it is a challenging game. Not every game should be comfortable and easy to read, easy to run. Like games need to vary complexity, both in terms of their mechanics, but also the setting and the kind of the emotional texture. I like that Eclipse Phase really. I mean, not to be like, oh, I'm a veteran GM, <laughs> da, 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 but like I've run, I've run games for over two decades. I'm pretty comfortable behind the wheel. I've run games where I didn't know the mechanics. I was just like, look, you guys tell me what, you know, like I'm just going to be like, I'll just throw this monster out the back and I guess this happens, right? Like uh, that I didn't have a good picture of because I just know storytelling beats and I know how to work a small crowd, right? Just with those certain moments because so much of these games is not really captured in the book, right? It's a lot about working, working the crowd and working the audience. But like this is a game that really challenged me and very few games... Challenge me even in the reading and the thinking about like i really wrestled with this one in a good way but it also i think is because of its immense potential and limitlessness some of the the group campaigns you can run are more limited either in time frame like maybe it's just built for one shots either in scope because you're just doing like mission-based stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're just going to keep running episodes and mission to mission to mission. Or in terms of like the perspective, like, okay, let's all just run a a gatecrasher team and run away from the setting and run out to the fringes where we can avoid some of the hairier stuff, um, except when we're back at base, which was, I guess, a surprising conclusion to come to based on when it first started out.
1: Yeah, it's nice that you get surprised if you've been doing it for a while. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think sure. that's what the I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the, the joy. joy.
1: Yes, for sure. That's the joy that came out of this book. And for me, as the Bibb DM, I can never not pronounce baby not like that. Bib, the bib, the as bib. the baby dm. I purely read this from like, I want this as prose. I love the prose of this book. Mm. I wanna keep it. 100%. I wanna keep it as a book. It's gonna go I wanna reread it and like go back to all my <laughs> Classic philosophical, like twenty-year-old self,
0: who Mm -hmm. converted
1: to religions. I think three times (laughs) as a twenty-year-old. Don't do that. I wasn't really converting. I was like, (laughs) I was basically like religion buffeting and philosophical buffeting.
0: Well, Eclipse Face would not have a problem with that. If you want a buffet, if you want to a la carte, you go right ahead. And
1: I think that's very much the joy that this book can bring. And I, it is. I would Mm -hmm. very, very recommend like going out and getting it. Just to read it,
0: yeah, and I should also we should also probably mention it's released under Creative Commons, so you can just get the P- I mean, you can get the PDFs of a lot of things, but like it is something that the authors want you to have, and you can just mm-hmm. have. They would also encourage you to buy the book to help them keep creating content, and we, we should. But. You can just, tr- you don't have to feel like skeevy about getting the PDF and not buying anything because they released it in Creative yeah. Commons and it's very, you know, praxis, right? Like, and I, I love that. I also think uh, it's a really good meditation exercise to read this for GMs mm-hmm. to think, you know, you, you should always be thinking about, you know, how am I going to run this? How am I going to keep it engaging for my players and all that kind of stuff, but also how to write settings. I mean, every paragraph, every line is an adventure hook. I love settings that are written that way. That's how I tend to write settings, so it's and it's really engaging and super well thought out and I think there's a lot of stuff in here that can you know you can port into other games just the the little the little bits and the pieces you probably if you're listening and run role playing games you probably encounter d and d semi regularly in your life. you know what about a wizard who their physical form may be defeated, but they can keep coming back. Uh, quite readily, right? The the players can defeat them, and they're, they're back next week. What could that be like? And you can explore that, or have maybe your player characters that the the physical death is not that big a deal. Maybe there's like a, a short term where like their spirit goes to another place, and they come back not that long after. And maybe they're changed. Maybe there's there's some 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 baggage there. But maybe don't be so tied up in the oh you're dead at zero or negative ten, right? Maybe. You know that that can be a conceit of the setting or a conceit of a particular player you know really explore see how you can bring some of those elements from eclipse phase maybe into other games because they're really compelling Mm -hmm. ideas that you can play with and not being i think the broader theme of eclipse phase which is that the players you should be telling them yes they should have the power and the ability and the freedom to be who they want to be in an, ima- it's, it's literally an imaginary play fun time space. Let them be who they want to be is definitely a credo to take with you into other games and to be more permissive. Obviously, I have some concerns about running the group. Some of the setting conceits gave me pause, but the general vibe of like, no, you should just be able to be who you want to be, play who you want to play, go for it. That's definitely an ethos that I love and think you should bring to your other games too, unless there are like, really super specific, you know, setting reasons not to. And I think a lot of the themes in this game definitely, you know, explore, you know, how can you make your games more political and and really engaging for the players, like, and that they have to really think about it and have to weigh their decisions and actions. And, you know, maybe not every setting has the good king you take missions from, (laughs) you know, maybe really examine, like, what does it mean to serve a monarchy? Like, who suffers under that, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, really, you know, take that and and you can port that into your other games and, and really, Create more compelling stories there too. So I don't think all the lessons from Eclipse Phase have to be contained in just Eclipse Phase. I
1: think this is just a really, I think Eclipse Phase, especially the second edition, I haven't read first edition. It's the book that you recommend to anybody who plays games so that you can meditate
0: Mm -hmm. on it. Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely a, a book to be read. Can you play it? You def- some people definitely play it. I don't know I don't know what that... I would love to get more of an idea of what that looks like, especially week to week, m- month to month. But this is a game to engage with mm-hmm. for sure and to, to meditate on a lot of the things that we take for granted in role-playing games, perhaps far too often. And to think more about games that challenge our conceptions of identity and, and stuff like that. Like I think that's all really wonderful. Yeah. Well,
1: I think there's more could be said about that wow yeah. really seriously thank was, you for was, recommending this one this was a good this was a good I'm, pull well, very very excited yeah thank
0: you I, i'm glad that i did the hard work of saying i want to yeah. read that <laughs> no but big thank you to the the eclipse phase authors and the, the crew at post-human studios and the work they've done obviously and not only in the prior shadow run game stuff that i've enjoyed but ju- just the reading of eclipse phase was was an experience and a challenge and had me running thought exercises in my head <laughs> you know while i'm driving around and stuff so like as a a really wonderful work and even things like the, I think the creative commons element for the PDF is also so critical. Cause like sometimes you just want to read something before you, you have drop money on it and stuff like that. Like you want to like, I just want to like check it out a little bit before I fork over a bunch of money for something. So like, I think it's great that they're, that they've done that and they've made such a, such a specific and wonderful little game. Even if I do have some like, like chest tightening concerns <laughs> about running uh, uh, for a group. Oh, right.
1: Gosh. I could play this game. I almost want to give this to my old philosophy professor, the one who said that, like, who encouraged me to double major and I'm all like, I'm already staying here for five years. (laughs) I'm already a super senior. I'd love to give this to her.
0: I feel like this is one of those games you can point out when people talk about, like, oh, you're just, you know, I don't think it's quite as common as it used to be, but the sort of dismissive nature of gaming, right? Like, ah, it's just just kicking in the door and killing goblins or whatever like you can be kind of like ah you're just playing pretend but like this is a game that i i doubt many people would read and go i don't find this challenging i totally grok everything that's going on here and (laughs) it's all very sensible like ah it's still child's play like this is a this is a heavy read it's a good one um in a in a good way so paula next time it's it is my pick on the podcast (laughs) what are we reading next time
1: my favorite RPG before I really had like the sensibility to call it an RPG-huh it's Magic Knights for Earth by Clamp it is a manga mm. that came out in the 90s by one an all-female manga can group circle and it has magical girls it has action adventure it's an Izekai it has Mecca I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm
0: ready to read it for the first time. It's super time. sojo. <laughs> oh
1: my god, the fat. <laughs> you are my personal reaction video to Magic Nightmare.
0: <laughs> I'm the YouTube thumbnail. Yes. Old we yes. reads Magic Knight's Reds for the first time. What? Yeah, no, seriously. You know, like the like I have to have like the the, the face where I'm like, wow you know? oh, Jesus. You know? Or no, we should we should do the thumbnail where I'm like have my like hand over my mouth and I'm the question question's like, is the Magic Knight Ray Earth fandom dying? <laughs> no. You know, please don't
1: no, don't do this to me.
0: <laughs> why I'm quitting it's the Magic Knight Ray Earth fandom.
1: Uh, yeah. Sailor Moon, like Sailor Moon is like my religion. It's like my touchstone. It's what I grew up on. It's like being raised Catholic. Mm-hmm but in a good way that's sailor moon to me it's just who i am as a person it's just in my bones magic knights rear earth is what i go feral for like that is my feral magical girl like touchstones it honestly changed i read it first in high school and we'll talk about it when the episode happens but here's your preview it changed my life as a high schooler and i'm super excited we're doing it next
0: time i'm ready i'm excited
1: get ready well good hanging out I'll see you next time, Grant.
0: Yes, see you next Bye. time. Bye.
1: Hi, this is Paula. Taking a second just to say we're a Q Times production. Check out all the great games that make some great stories at Q Times. That's Q U E U E T I M E S on YouTube and Twitch.